0: Hello and welcome to the Fighter Pilot Podcast, the internet show that explores the fascinating world of air combat, the aircraft, the weapon systems, and most importantly, the people. I am your host, Vincent Aiello, call sign Jello, and this week we have another audio musing for you. It's like an audio book, but it instead is a reading of one of the articles on our blog on our website, fighterpilotpodcast.com. I tried this last week with a discussion on my article, How to Succeed in Flight School, Don't Ask Me. And the responses were mostly favorable, so we're going to try it again this week. But speaking of last week, some of you took issue with my list of how I came up with this idea in the first place. I guess at first I said A, then secondly I said 2, and then lastly I said D. I mean, come on, this tells me you either don't remember or worse, never saw Home Alone. Are you kidding me? I mean, come on, this movie's over 30 years old, but we're getting into the holidays here, and this is a perfect holiday movie. You don't remember Big Brother Buzz bullying Kevin Telling him how useless he was. Anyway, if you have to explain the joke, I guess it's not funny. Now, before we get to the article, I have a listener question from Alex from Germany, who says, my first question is related to the selection process for military pilots. Considering that about 4% of the population has ADHD, and that this condition is often diagnosed late or not at all, I wonder if you have ever met a fighter pilot who has ADHD or identifies himself as neurodivergent. So, Alex, I don't know the difference between the U.S. and Germany, and I don't even know in the U.S. if ADHD is disqualifying in the first place, but have I ever met a pilot who identifies as neurodivergent or has ADHD? Not to my knowledge. Alex's second question is, have you ever met a fighter pilot who you thought didn't have the right qualities for the job and would have been better off not being selected? Well, yes, Alex, and I've thought about how much more I should say about that and decided probably not much, so I'm going to leave it at that. And then thirdly, is there any opportunity for a retired fighter pilot to experience flying or co-piloting a fighter jet again? And if not, how much do you miss it? Well, Alex, that's actually two questions. The first answer is yes, there are opportunities. You could go get a job, I could, at Top Aces, Draken, ATAC, TAC Air, any number of the companies providing commercial air services as contractors to the military. And so those are opportunities, but how much do I miss it? I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, but not very much. A couple weekends ago, I was in Houston visiting the gentleman who's uh, got the L-39, you know, with the fighter pilot podcast on the side of it. You might've seen it on our Instagram page. Well, Malty invited me down because the classic jet association was getting together and a bunch of guys all flew in their L-39s. And I went down to hang out with them and give a little prepared speech. And I got to fly a couple times and it was fun. But yeah, they kept asking me like, Jello, aren't you going to get a jet or get back into general aviation? And I'm like, "No, yeah, I think I'm good. I mean, I've always said with 3,800 hours and 700 traps, I pretty much did everything I wanted to do. In fact, the only two things I can think of I didn't do is shoot somebody down and eject, and I didn't really want to do either of those. So anyway, Alex, hope that helps, and thanks for your questions. All right, this week's article is called Fighter Pilot Stereotypes. It's from April 2021, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Okay, humor me for a moment. I'm going to say two words, and I want you to describe the first image that comes to mind. Ready? Fighter pilot. Actually, hold on, wait. Before you describe the image, let me guess. You pictured a Ray-Ban wearing white male with an appetite for danger and enormous ego. Am I right? Mox rules and authority? Has a cool nickname? Yeah, I know the one. Tom Cruise's Maverick from the 1986 smash Top Gun is this genre's poster child. But if Hollywood is responsible for forming your image of military aviators, well then, hey, we need to talk. Because from the Great Santini in 1979 to a Saturday Night Live skit from 2018, Tinseltown and the Big Apple have long taken significant liberties when depicting these hardworking professionals. To be fair, some portrayals are not that far off, but based on personal experiences from over a quarter century as a U.S. Navy F/A-18 pilot and now hosting the Fighter Pilot Podcast, I find most Hollywood fighter pilot stereotypes are just plain wrong. So let's take a look then at the top 10 myths about being a fighter pilot. And that's a term I'll use to generalize all military aviators. And I'll even add a few anecdotes for why I take this position. Naturally, there are always exceptions to the rule, and I will strive to acknowledge those. And we'll take these in reverse order. Starting with number 10, fighter pilots are devil may care risk takers. Many worthwhile pursuits involve an element of danger, skiing, tightrope walking, even driving a car, just to name a few, and flying is no exception. The consequences of a mistake in aviation are immediate, sensational, and usually fiery, as even a cursory YouTube search reveals. But routinely working in such a hazardous profession does not mean fighter pilots go around taking unnecessary risks simply for the thrill of it. What fighter pilots really enjoy is having fun, at least generally speaking, that was true for me. And if we die or are badly maimed, well, we can't have fun anymore. So risk is managed. And by analyzing the likelihood of a bad event happening and the severity of the outcome if it does, and that's called risk management, fighter pilots take calculated risks, which can still be thrilling. I served with squadron mates who enjoyed skydiving, rock climbing, and other quote extreme activities, Heck, for many years, I even rode my 1,000cc motorcycle at non-competitive track events, routinely seeing speeds of 150 miles an hour and faster. But parachutes are double-checked, belays posted, and protective equipment worn on closed road circuits. Managing risks ensures living to fly and have fun another day. Myth number nine. All fighter pilots have cool call signs. Viper, Iceman, Wildcard, Sidewinder, you get the point. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Washout? Dead meat? Clown penis? Oh, dear. When serious, Hollywood readily bestows its characters with badass call signs, which is simply aviator-speak for nicknames, which you can learn more about in episode two. For the most part, real-world call signs are anything but flattering. In fact, call signs are often demeaning, crude, or just downright offensive. However, recent military directives have striven to stamp this out with some success. In one air wing I was a part of, we had a hulking, 240-pound, massive college football lineman, and we named him Buttercup. It was awesome. Other squadron friends went by Sloppy, Tiny, and Doof. For crying out loud, I'm named after a fruity gelatin. But exceptions abound both in Hollywood and in real life. Tom Skerritt's character, Viper, was inspired by the Navy's technical advisor to the film Top Gun. Pete Pettigrew, you might remember, he was a guest on episode 21. Another example is the marine aviator who went by the awesomest call sign ever, Assassin. (laughs) True confessions, on episode two, I wrongly guessed that Lieutenant General Fred McCorkle assumed this handle once he attained general rank. In fact, he earned it by using a pistol to dispatch two enemy combatants rushing the helicopter he had just landed in Vietnam. Yikes. Regardless, call signs like Viper and Assassin are the exception. Myth number eight, fighter pilots are rampant rule breakers. Fighter pilots are depicted in movies willfully breaking the hard deck, buzzing the tower, and routinely committing other offenses as if it's part of the job. (laughs) Nonsense. Headwork is a term used to describe a pilot's ability to maintain situational awareness while properly performing required tasks. In real life, poor headwork, such as flouting the rules, is a sure ticket to having your wings clipped, which means the fun stops, and as we learned in myth number 10, no fighter pilot wants that. Myth number seven, fighter pilots are exclusively white males. Hollywood and New York have cast Robert Duvall, Tom Cruise, Val Kilmer, Owen Wilson, even Harry Connick Jr. and Will Ferrell as intrepid fighter pilots, so it's no surprise white males are the predominant stereotype. And truthfully, this jives with my experience. But then, the prohibition on women in combat roles was only lifted in the early 90s just as I was beginning my career. The number of female fighter pilots has steadily risen since, and I served with many very capable female pilots, increasingly so towards the end of my career in 2017. Also, it is statistically true that most U.S. fighter pilots have been Euro-American to date, and I have no desire to make this a referendum on racial equality or opportunity in America. But the good news is this too is changing. Notable fighter pilots of color existed from as early as the Tuskegee Airmen and Jesse Brown to the current U.S. Air Force Chief of Staff, which is the service's highest-ranking officer, and their numbers are growing. Thankfully, Hollywood has taken note with nods to Will Smith, Jamie Foxx, Clarence Gilliard, and that's the questionably named Sundown character in Top Gun, and Lou Gossett Jr., although that latter example almost doesn't count because Iron Eagle was just so awful. (laughs) But I still loved it. Myth number six. Fighter pilots are intolerant of authority. Fighter pilot archetypes are unfailingly portrayed as anti-authority. Even Poe Dameron, the brash X-Wing pilot in the latest Star Wars trilogy, publicly berates Admiral Holdo for her perceived incompetence. And this after being recently demoted for insubordination. I have certainly witnessed my share of incredulity at seemingly asinine leadership, and okay, I've probably even harbored some myself, But the chasm is wide between grumbling over perceived poor leadership and actually getting in a superior's face about it. Over my career, I observed and participated in plenty of the former, i.e. grumbling, but never even witnessed, let alone participated in any of the latter, i.e. getting in someone's face. Myth number five, fighter pilots only have daughters. Hollywood has not particularly caught wind of this one yet, but as a younger man, I remember hearing that when fighter pilots, who at the time were predominantly males, had children, they only had daughters. The less-than-scientific assessment was that sitting so near transmitting radars and constantly pulling high G-forces somehow segregated the swimmers. More nuanced subsequent studies suggested that maybe the alleged trend could be stress-induced. Evidence exists to support this theory, but I did not find it to be the case in my circles. Sure, some of my flying friends have only daughters, but others have both sons and daughters, and I have only sons. Three of them. Ironically, though, this fact provides endless ribbing by my peers who asserted that I must not have been, quote, a real fighter pilot. Oh, jeez. Myth number four. Fighter pilots are specimens of perfect health. Movies don't generally bore audiences by depicting the obstacles young people encounter pursuing a military flying career, but in real life, it is generally assumed that an applicant can have nothing medically amiss. Vision has to be perfect, and there must be no physical or medical defects of any kind anywhere. In the Navy, we call being grounded for an obscure condition discovered by the Naval Aerospace Medical Institute as the dreaded nami whammy. Due to the physiological hazards of military flying, and the fact that services historically speaking anyway have typically had more applicants than available slots thinning the pool medically has been routine but these days eyesight can be surgically corrected to 2020 and certain disqualifying conditions can be waived in fact have always been waverable on a case by case basis as a young NROTC midshipman i was devastated to learn that a minor ear surgery i'd had at age 12 would not only disqualify me from flight duty but naval service entirely Thankfully, cooler heads eventually prevailed when the attending physician, a former Air Force surgeon, wrote an endorsement to NAMI on my behalf. Curiously, the further fighter pilots advance in their careers, the more willing military medicine seems to be when contemplating continuing flight duty for them based on certain conditions they may have. It's almost like they're seeking the maximum return on investment. Now, it's always been true that when you're asked, a pilot will say, oh, nothing's wrong. But that's not so much the case as you get further along. And in fact, I have pilot friends who return to flying fast jets later in their career following significant and undisguisable or unhideable medical trauma, including brain injuries, broken limbs, even open heart surgery. Myth number three, being a fighter pilot is easy. The act of flying is often overly simplified as pull back and the houses get smaller, push forward and the houses get bigger. Seems straightforward, sure, but. When you include aerodynamics, meteorology, navigation, fuel planning, and emergency procedures, to name but a few of the many aviation considerations, flying becomes far more complicated. And now to flying, for military aviators, add fighting. To succeed in air combat means understanding the weapons, combat systems, and tactics for your side, and then the weapons, combat systems, and tactics for the other side too, and that includes all the other sides. Then, there are survival methods, rules of engagement, theater-specific procedures, and more. In the spirit of Whaling Jennings, I've often said being a fighter pilot is every bit as professional as being a doctor or attorney or such, or really any esteemed profession, and I stand by that assertion, although a podcast listener who was an attorney once retorted that I regarded his vocation perhaps too highly. Myth number two, fighter pilots are self-centered. One of the great perks of hosting the Fighter Pilot podcast is celebrating real world heroes who are not all about themselves, as the stereotype would have you believe. Our A 10 Thunderbolt 2 episode guest said that in his unit, it was all about, quote, the 18 year old on the ground with a rifle. And he's not alone. Many other past guests have identified someone other than themselves as the primary benefactor of their flying duties. Sadly, this seems to be lost on our Hollywood friends who are more interested in a compelling story. Than depicting reality. And finally, myth number one fighter pilots are cocky a-holes. Being self-absorbed is one thing, but Hollywood usually takes it a step further by portraying fighter pilots as arrogant pricks so full of themselves it's cringeworthy. And I'm thinking Maverick and Iceman facing off here in the O-Club or in the locker room. All right, let's try this. Imagine a self-assuredness spectrum from 1 to 10, where 1 is extremely timid and 10 is supremely confident anything higher than a 10, let's say an 11, will deem as cocky. Now, who do you think is the more dangerous fighter pilot, the one or the 11? Sure, cocky pilots are annoying, but it's the ones, and really I would say the fives and below, although this isn't scientific in any stretch, who are the most dangerous because if they don't believe in themselves, they will fail to earn the trust of their fellow aviators, and that's dangerous in this business. Every pilot requires some confidence, just not too much. Most real world fighter pilots are sixes to nines, a few are tens, and once in a great while you come across an eleven, but not nearly as often as Hollywood would have you think. So there you have it my friends, ten fighter pilot stereotypes and why they are wrong, at least in my opinion, and that's just the beginning. We didn't even touch on mirrored glasses, big wristwatches, and fast cars, but hey, I get it. No one wants to watch a movie about a boring fighter pilot who seems like your unassuming neighbor. You know the one. Drives a modest car, flies a flag outside the home, prioritizes time for family. If exaggeration and embellishment is required to make a story more compelling, well, I suppose that's just the world we live in. All right, that'll do it for this audio musing. Once again, I hope you enjoyed it and found value in it. If you care to provide feedback, you can message the show at any of our social media channels or email questions at fighterpilotpodcast.com we'll see you next week in the meantime thanks for tuning in take care